Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Chocolate con churros. Por dos, por favor. It's good, isn't it? It's nice to be here. Is that traditionally hangover food? Is that like the sort of um, fry-up in St Giles on a Sunday morning? I think it might be. I mean, the first time I had chocolate con churros was at the end of a night, sort of finishing off. It's a sort of nightcap. What time? Um, about eight in the morning, I think. Felt like the coolest thing in the world when you were 18. Having them in Madrid, you can actually stand the churros up. That's not really liquid chocolate. In the churros. <laughs> It's a Morales thing. We're in uh, we're in Baeza, Baeza, which is near Jaén in southern Spain. We were in Madrid last night doing a concert, and. Three and a quarter hour, rather small taxi journey. Could have done without it's that, a but cramped, that's it? one of those things. Um, but we got here and we found a nice vino tinto last night. I mean, it's not all pledge, is it? The travelling can be a bit. Um, no, it's a bit lacking in glamour sometimes. Because we we got a concert tonight and then straight back on, presumably the same bus mm. to Madrid Airport for a really early flight tomorrow morning. But um, this is nice. We're in a little court. Little cats just coming past. Did you ask for food? El gato. Yeah. And we can see the massive cathedral. This is not a large town, but it's got a massive cathedral. It's huge, isn't it? It's completely like a lot of these small Spanish cities, I suppose. The cathedral's understandably sort of out of proportion with the rest of the place. And we stayed in sort of a bit of a convent room last night. <laughs> yeah, it was fairly... Um, Austere, is that, is that can we say? That's a good word. <laughs> but that was fine. And then I had breakfast with Charles, coffee, a little croissant. What do you Croissant. 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 Um, anyway, as we're near Jaén, it reminds me of one of my favourite songs. I first learnt it. As, as near, actually, a bit like the Beatles that I learnt through the King Singers. I learnt this in a King Singers 
performance arrangement from about 1500. It's about three Moorish girls from Chaen, so presumably it's not really a song from 1500. It could be a, originally the song could have been 400 years older. I guess, yeah. I mean, the you know the the more the history of Spain and the Moors is complicated, but they were. I mean, you can hear the language. It's still very much Arabic influence, isn't it? With all the and the lots of the lots of vocabulary that comes, you know, isn't European. So yeah, imagine it would be a an old song. Here it is. I could have played you the the 1500 arrangement, but here's something from a 1986 album. Just one singer and guitar, and it sounds it sounds authentic to me. Three Moorish girls, Asha, Fatima, and Marien. And the singer, oh, it's hard to read. It's Aliki Kajaloglu, or Kagalogu, Greek, we think. But goodness, they get to right to the heart of that. Tough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's nice to come to Spain. We haven't been to Spain for a while. Uh, and you and I were doing uh, introductions last night, mostly you, because that was your degree. That's right. Uh, I said, did a degree in Spanish and Portuguese all those years ago. Um, and it's lovely to be particularly back in the south, which is where I spent a lot of time in my teens doing Spanish exchange and making, you know, seeing a completely new part of the world to me then. It was a really mind-expanding and mind-bending experience. Was that with um, a particular person? It was one, it was an exchange to a school? or Yeah, it was exchange. we had, a, had this brilliant teacher at school called Nev Mars, who was folk hero um, and he, he just set up an exchange with a couple of schools in a place called Guadix which is um, about an hour from Granada um, and all of us just a lot of us who were doing Spanish at the time got super enthused by by his love for the for all things Hispanic um, 
and yeah, it stemmed from there. So I remember that f- I think 15 of us did A-level Spanish in my year and 14 of us went to do the university. Wow. Yeah, really cool teacher. Yeah. I mean, a disaster. They had no classroom discipline at all, but just such enthusiasm for, you know, everything, for, for Spanish things and Iberian things and Latin American things, but also for just beauty generally. Is he the guy who learnt new languages for a hobby? Yeah, he used to come back after some holiday, but I've learnt Welsh. <laughs> Great. Sort of inveterate learner, which is a nice thing to be, isn't it? young Spanish group Cantoria there who are coming over to both Brighton and Star Music in June next year. Really lovely group. Anyway, the programme we're out here doing is Leonardo Shaping the Invisible, which we put together in 2019 on the 500th anniversary of Leonardo's death. Professor Martin Kemp, the Leonardo historian, chose the images and designs. Uh, really a beautiful and disparate selection of great art to uh, you know, sort of uh, military designs and things. And I chose music to match or reflect some aspect of the image but it wasn't music in the time of Leonardo which has been done Uh, and just as well as in fact we only chose some one piece from a contemporary of Leonardo's that fantastic Agnus Dei from Josquin's Missa Lomarme Sexty Tony the one with the two double cannons so both tenors singing the same music just one crotchet part and then two sopranos doing similarly on the top
and it ranges from from that Josquin through what else? Interesting. There's there's a Jeannequin, uh, the, the, bat, the battle, Lager, yeah. uh, and then bit of Victoria, Victoria Alma Redemptoris Marta. What an absolute tune! One could get quite lazy just playing that all the time. I, I get to the end of it every single time, and I think, "Whoa, yeah. what's just happened?" I can't work out. We were just saying that we can't work out quite why it's so good because on the page it looks like you know chords and scales, not normal Spanish polyphony thing, but it's so sensual and so expressive. Um, parts kind of weaving in and out of each other in this quite visual way. It's and it's a really nice. Um, Counterpoint, if you like, to the to the painting that you show at the time, the Annunciation, isn't it? The Annunciation, yes. And the, and the the point I make is that it's not so much that the text is perfect, which of course it is for the Annunciation, but the the Leonardo's detail on the cloth, the way the light hits the cloth, is just amazing. I don't understand how. Oh, I don't know anything about painting, but the the way he does that with a brush, yeah, it, it, uh, it's like magic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of liquid magic. Yes. Here comes a car. Oh, it's our friend Mercedes. Audi. Audi cello. He, he didn't like the look of us very much, did he? Didn't seem to, no. But there you go. Can't blame him, probably. That Victoria, you just feel that something's changed, that, that it's just substantially better than anything else that you've heard until that point in the programme, even though, you know, everything else in the programme is great. Howls, for goodness, Salvato Mundi from the Requiem. But the, the richness of the... I think he's composing... I think he's composing with two different types of consonants and dissonance. One type is just harmonic, so he knows that if he stretches to certain chords... We won't go into the technical of it, but he knows he can just sort of... It's like a bloke getting up in the morning and yawning. He just mm. sets his stall out to start with. And then he just introduces little bits of melodic dissonance, a little bit of ooh-ah there. But then he starts being dissonant with vowels... Yeah. And so some chords are all on the same vowel, and he just introduces a different vowel, so you think, oh, that's in tune, that's consonant, but there's something not quite right in it. Anyway, as always, we shouldn't talk about it, we should yeah. just play the track. Yeah, and there's something that I think one of the lovely things about it is the sense of individual lines being so beautifully crafted on their own, so you can just follow one line and it's gorgeous, melodically, perfectly interesting of itself, and then when they, when they come together, that sort of independence mixed with the interdependence of them is just oh. <laughs> exactly that's a word you may use in your essays student, I, when there's I'm, I'm how to spell it but no <laughs> and just dropping in this performance is by the US male voice ensemble Chanticleer best respects to them across the pond
just a great bit of harmonic twisting at the end there. He's going to chord six, he's going to chord two. That may not mean anything to you, but you just heard it and you knew what just happened at the end. How did he go further than he'd gone and then just bring you back to a safe place? And that amazing shape shift when he goes to the D-flat major. Oh yes, that's a sort of... um, and no one will remember that, so maybe we'll just drop it in at this moment. This, I think this is the equivalent of a bit of chiaroscuro. I think this is like those bits of <coughs> uh, those uh, pictures of the nativity, and there's I- immense light coming from a dark stable just around the, the mm. newborn Christ. At that moment. Let's just hear that naughty chord again, that soft D flat major It's naughtier as well, isn't it, than chiaroscuro? Marvellous, isn't it? Marvellous work. <laughs> well, you do, so you're doing fast show, I was doing Richie Benno. <laughs> Two of our three fields well, of reference. Yeah, so <laughs> on Sing the Score, you're the, um, you're the cricketing commentary. That's right. Quite often. And my main instruction to you on Sing the Score about anything is make it more... I can't remember. Make it more fast show. Oh, I see. Yeah, I usually yeah. can manage that. And I was just reminding yesterday, for some... You needed to do a South American sports commentary at one point, didn't you, on Sing the Score? There was a South American football commentary. That rings a bell now. Entirely about harmonic progressions or something, and no one probably listening ever understood it, but I was most grateful to you for translating yeah. it. Should we just drop that in? Yes. It is. Hey, bueno, creo que ha tenido un poco de suerte de escapar con esa trompilla. La multitud no está nada convencida y puede que la repetición le dé al árbitro un verdadero dilema. Esta terminología de la vieja escuela a mí me parece un poco caduca. I mean, I, I don't know, I make this stuff in the hope that about seven people. Is it, what's, the, what's the minimum number of people that you want to understand the joke? Is it just you? <laughs> Probably the maximum. <laughs> It's you and me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's enough. And maybe Eamon. Eamon, yeah, it's fine. Um, my wife doesn't listen to any of them, so she's not gonna. That's, she's not gonna get okay. it. I think she's just trying to make sure I don't get too into myself. Yeah, and not do anything criminal, I suppose. Hang on, where's this conversation <laughs> going? <laughs> it's nice to do this program after a, a few years off. Mm. Obviously, everything's after a few years off with with COVID. But what we found when we originally chose the the pieces, Martin chose really different pieces of Leonardo that seem to have so little to do with each other and sometimes they were just designs oh no great. A, tra- <laughs> a, a, a town train is coming shall we give um, I hope he uses his bell again come on it's a he doesn't look very amused no that's obviously quite a serious business isn't it driving as an adult, you don't want to be seen on a train. It's very difficult to look cool, isn't it? Here's the police though, right behind them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, the police is stuck behind the train, going down a tremendously thin alleyway to the cathedral. Uh, police said enough, he's coming back around, possibly to have a word us. with us. <laughs> oh. The first time? Yeah. It's been open previous. Yes. Well, it's, it's got ter- this quietest part of Baeta. It's got very, very busy all of a sudden. Um, money has been spent here, I would say. Money has been spent to do the town up. There's 
the place that we're singing tonight is the former ruins of a Franciscan monastery uh, and a tremendous amount of money. I would guess European money partly has been sent on doing this up. I guess we were talking about this last night. I wonder if Andalusia is these old, old places that are that are really off the beaten track are funded to some extent by the huge tourism in the, along the coast. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It feels logical. Yes, Victoria, it's just, he seems to cut his material from higher quality cloth than others. Was it Dizzy Gillespie or, I think it was Dizzy Gillespie, no, Duke Ellington said about, um, he's talking about two brilliant jazz drummers who he played with quite a lot and someone asked him who he preferred and he said I prefer I can't remember his name but I prefer this guy he's just got better ingredients <laughs> and Victoria like, like all the best composers seems to just choose his material so carefully and so um, yeah so inspiredly electric Range Rover yeah. I noticed that was a car called the Rubicon, and it just crossed it us. Crossed us. <laughs> Which does, what, does strange, that, what does that mean? Strange reversal. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wasted, is it? Even in something as opulent as Amor and Taurus Mater, it, it, it's, it's very luxurious, but every single note counts and speaks and tells. And, and that's terribly easy to say. It's, all, it's, mm. it, well, it's a straight cliche, but it's just totally true. Have a look at the score, folks, um, or... Send us an email, we'll send it to you. It's, there's a Sing the Score episode on it when, in which I try to explain how some of this stuff is done. And I think what, one of the interesting things, because uh, that's, I think, a Roman piece from 1584 when he was working in Rome, that's very, very Counter-Reformation time. Mm. And in music history, there's a standard line given is that, oh, Palestrina wrote the Missa Pape Marcelli as a way of showing that... Uh, you could still write polyphony, or at least you could still write for several different voices and show text. Although, actually, as far as I understand it, the Council of Trent, they were trying to reform the uh, the plain chant and all the accretions that had been added. That was, wasn't that Palestrina and Anibale Tsoilo? Crazy name, crazy guy. You're way um, ahead of me here. But the, the, the interesting thing about polyphony at this period is that and Palestrina, who was a great mate of his... Pal and Vic... Vic and Pal, from the German college to the old canal. Vic and Pal, Pal and Vic, sacred polyphonic music made them tick. Yeah. The thing about, you know, Palestrine, who always gets quoted as the great um, master of polyphony, he's not really. I mean, he's, it, I mean he's, he's master of a later form of polyphony. If you want your pure imitative polyphony, all the voices doing the same idea and creating this web, that's a whole generation earlier. Mm. The clever thing about Palestrine and Victoria is that they're happy to have a bit of chordal writing and just have that text. And what we keep hearing in that Victoria piece, because we literally can't stop talking about it, is that you have one voice coming in early and then the other voice is mm. doing it. Call and response. But then there's sometimes a post-call as well. Mm. So it feels like polyphony. It's polyphony, Jim, but not as we know it. <laughs> It's, incre- it's amazing, isn't it? And uh, the Palestrina feels to me like he has... Uh, they're, they're both brilliant on this, and that 
can't compare apples and pears, but Victoria has something, a, a kind of what I would think of as a sort of Latin passion that Palestrina feels a bit more distance from his material somehow. There's a cold heat. Uh, can you yeah. think of a Victoria piece where he's even bothered to move out of third gear? That car's still in first. Um, it's just so... It seems so easy. Mm. Yeah, it, 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 does, it never feel like he's stretching himself. And but, even the, ten, the tenebrae responses, which feature in this programme as well to the, to the image of The Last Supper... It's done so economically, oh, yeah. and it, and it's a form of it's a form of just heightened speech and declamation. Just one part moves away from the others, and then there's a brief little bit of polyphony. But you can hear the text. That's one of the things I love about actually three-part polyphony. But in four-part polyphony, you can just about follow the text still. Mm. Once it gets into five-part, six-part, that's lovely for us to sing it. But... And, and you start hearing sound, don't you, rather than rather than text. Yeah. Um, but that, there's something about the tenebrae. The Victoria, I think, particularly that's so, that's so spare, partly because of, you know, this is the time of year of the church when all the statues are covered up and there's ornamental things are put away. Um, the music does that too, and it, it kind of puts the words in almost like a visible focus. So you really, really have to listen to to these amazing texts that attach to the narrative of the Passion. The Rubicons thought better of it, and he's coming to cross us back the other way. And while we're talking about Tenebrae, um, Eamon and I were talking about this a few weeks ago when he was talking about his dad mm. and music that, uh, the sort of music that his dad, his, his dad who was a, a chorister, uh, and he didn't talk about it very much, but uh, the music Eamon chose to go with it was the famous George Malcolm recording of the Tenebrae. Yeah. And we wondered aloud as a little black dog pasts, Perro Nero? Uh, Perro Negro. Negro. Uh, as the. Uh, we wondered whether any of the choristers still involved uh, remembered anything about it. And we had a letter from, from Robert Nelson, uh, who was involved with it. And he wrote a little article, I think, um, and he just forwarded it to me. And he said, as far as he was aware, it was the first recording ever made of the Tenebrae, and he remembers it distinctly because he took part in it as a ten-year-old. The recording was not made in the studio, but in the cathedral itself, with its wonderful acoustics. Uh, 1859, uh, so plenty of outside noise. It was made during the daytime, and we choristers had stayed behind during the Easter holidays. 1859? No, no, sorry, 1959. Um pre-digital era, huge microphones the size of big lollipops were strategically placed around the apps um, all this technology was fascinating for us boys with everything recorded on seven and a half inch per second tape um, George Malcolm would get us to sing a piece through and then we'd all crowd around the tapes to, to hear the result, he never seemed satisfied with the first take, we always had to repeat them um, he says the names of the ten gentlemen singers and 13 choristers are clearly listed only, as far as he knows, only two of them became professional singers Ian Partridge Wow, as and, was a boy or a uh, well, uh, No, I think he was a young gent okay. at that stage and John Harsey, professionally known as John Elwes oh, yeah. uh, so that's Ramo high tenor recordings Yeah, I he remember did loads him. from France, didn't he? Yeah, from on, uh, what was that? Uh, Erato That's right Erato yeah. labels Erato Yes <laughs> Uvavu. <laughs> Uvavu, yes. <laughs> Stupid boy. Um, 
He says, upon reflection, it's remarkable that not more of us followed that path given our choral grounding. Mm. And Malcolm had just announced that he was going to leave to go and become a harpsichordist. Um, and Robert doesn't talk about who, who took over. But he, he said before his departure, Malcolm no doubt wished to make his mark and record his continental sound for posterity and what better than these masterpieces of Renaissance and polyphony. But he says the headmaster of the choir school was totally unmusical and had no feeling for such perceived fripperies. Um, and, uh, and it was also considered that such recordings unduly interrupted the academic side of our education. Still, it, hap- it happened, happened, eh? That's an amazing letter, isn't it? But the last thing he says, the tenebrae service itself, given what you were just saying, was being phased out, and this was some years before the Second Vatican Council, which led to much liturgical upheaval. Mm. Uh, And the the record sleeve informs us from the Middle Ages until very recently it was sung in the darkening church as part of the service called tenebrae. And Robert says, it was an unsettling but magical sensation to me during the singing of the responsories. And we sang some of Victoria's music in the cathedral, but never the whole lot. Uh, and moreover, to my disappointment, some of Victoria's responses were substituted by Edmund Rubra's compositions. It was chalk and cheese. But uh, the Rubra, we, we recorded on the, on one disc, of... Yes, I know Harry's recorded the whole set. Right. I think they're really good. I, thought, I only know the one yeah. we did on, on that disc, but yeah, that's an amazing letter. Really, yes. Like a, a snapshot of a completely different time. Okay. I mean, some of that endures, doesn't it? The drum, the, the Westminster Cathedral... They still make that relatively full-blooded continental sound, the boys, as far as I know. Um, partly because the building's so big, and just you have to, to make an impact from all the way at the back. You have to really give it some. I, I wonder whether whether a conductor is aware of that. I mean, obviously they are intellectually aware of it, but you tend to sing for the person who's conducting in front of you, who is very, very close to it. And I just what it must have said about Malcolm that he was wanted that. I think Eamon's word was commitment. Incredible commitment. It's incredibly committed, isn't it? I mean, very it's an easy stereotype, but it's very un-English and very dramatic de- declamation of the text. Yeah. Very closely, close attention to the yeah. words. We, sh- we should just hear a little bit. It's not fair to talk about things. No, so we'll, we'll, we'll drop in a little bit. But, yeah, we'll drop in a little bit. I mean, that just doesn't sound like, particularly of that singing of that repertoire, doesn't sound like singing that you would hear normally today. It's very different age, it feels like. The, the closest I can think of is some of the, the German boy choirs, where they have similarly, they have low, they have low boys singing the, mm. the alto part. But I just wonder whether it really is something that isn't English. I think one of the problems with branding of choral things is that people say, oh, that's the English sound, or more to the point, that's the English approach. But... You know, I'm, I'm totally a product of the English choral mm. tradition. I'm a chorister at Hereford. Yet, that's, you know, I don't see that something like that is, is impossible. It's not how we were encouraged to sing, but there ought to be room for different approaches like that. But do you think that it's become a sort of victim of its own success, victim of its own branding? Yeah, partially, isn't it? The, the, isn't it? Um, the, the, um, it's 
part, it's partly just a, a expediency that those in a cathedral you have so much or a, or a college chapel you have so much repertoire to get through you don't have time to to talk about the meaning of the text to talk about how you invest it how you transmit real character and subtext to a, to a piece of music you're just getting through the dots aren't you and especially when you're repeating text that comes every day my soul doth magnify the lord yeah. and i suppose thus the tenebrae are different i remember singing the victoria and the bird passions three-part pieces the bird mm. certainly is a three-part passion with uh, the uh, the crowd scenes, the turba scenes, and the uh, the sort of evangelist doing in the middle. That's right, and the priests doing the words of Christ and the words of the other characters. So two priests, one of whom sings Christ yeah. and one of whom sings the other people who speak. I just remembered a Bruno Turner story. Bruno Turner, my former boss at Mappamundi, mm-hmm. one of the very first uh, cottage publishing industries. My first job out of university was to go and sell really Spanish Renaissance music for him. That was his big passion. He was one of the really important performers with Pro Cancio and Antigua. It wasn't his group. He was invited in to, to conduct them. And he had this encyclopedic knowledge of Renaissance music. I said, the interesting thing is that his way into it was as a Catholic and not necessarily as a trained musician. He ran a wall coverings company and Mapamundi was run as a sort of tax loss of it. Right. Um, and we had all this, this stuff to send up. But Bruno had some Spanish and he was standing in front of this choir at some point doing, doing this. And he wanted more drama from the turba, from the crowd. So he was saying to them, more from the crowd, mas turbam, mas turbam. Not a great moment. <laughs> Depends what you mean, but not, I don't think it's necessarily what he meant. <laughs> um, the, the, main, the other moment in the bird is the, the words, if thou let this man go, <laughs> thou art not Caesar's friend. <laughs> let's, let's change... Um, let's change from that century and go to mid-18th century Spain. I don't know a great deal about this piece, but it is by Irribarren. I think that's a double set of double R's. Could be. Could be. Could be taken on all day. Candid. Afraid <laughs> we don't have a camera. <laughs> Sorry. We're a bit tired. No We're a bit that. tired. Oh, get an education. Exactly. Finally. Um, oh, is that a car alarm or birds? Birds. Excellent. And we're at the top of a hill, we had to say, top of a hill in this town of Baeza. Uh, we couldn't really see countryside we were getting through last night. No. Um, presumably it was... It's sudden. relatively barren down here, I think. It's lots of sort of olive trees and sort of... I mean, we're, you know, it's obviously December now, isn't it? But in the summer, this place is seriously hot and, and pretty cruel and barren. Quite, so we're almost Africa, basically. In a barren and dry land where no water is, thus have I looked for thee. Anyway, this is um, Juan Frances de Iribarren, and this is a Christmas piece as we're coming up to Christmas. Uh, it's always nice to come to, to, to Spain in uh, Christmas time. Charles um, over Churros this morning was saying that he'd been to the Christmas market in uh, Plaza Mayor in Madrid yesterday, and he always you know, thinks of Spain as a place of extraordinary um, interior decoration. And I'm uh, <laughs> just making it up now. <laughs> and uh, but he said he was he'd forgotten that how low the tat can sink at Christmas as oh, well. Yeah. The, the uh, Spanish, uh, the, the traditional Spanish crib scene, which you get in every town square, has the famous. Um, I think his name's it's a, it's a Saint Joseph, not 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 Saint Joseph, the Father of Christ. Arimathea could be, let's say, another Saint Joseph, but he's called Pe- Pepe el Cagador, and it's just a guy in the crib scene taking a dump in the corner. It's a traditional Spanish oh, figure. Cacador. Yeah, cacador, yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. I'll try and find it for you and show you later. <laughs> Thanks. Absolutely a thing. 
let's get on to this piece then. <laughs> now, this, no, I didn't. And well, it's good to be educated. Um, this is a piece from mid uh, mid 18th century Spain, uh, and it's sung by you and Anna Beard Fernandez. Fernandez. Um, and I think Charles and Matt and Martha and Elspeth Pickett in a concert we did last year called uh, Angels and Demons. Uh, and this this is a bit of fun. Here, this is about the devil who's hopping mad. Who's who's hopping mad? Mad. Cut to the track.
getting full of um, full of excitement and family doings and things and there's more bells upset child it's midday on a Sunday isn't it hence the just everything happening you could just walk from you could just walk from coffee to coffee it's lovely isn't it very civilised little narrow streets all isn't it <laughs> jumbles for goalposts Sebende uh, for sale for sale let's buy it ah, tiny little tiny little window in a wall that looks has been put together Many times. Derecha. And the Spanish word for left is... Izquierda. So that doesn't sound like a European route at all. I think it might be Arabic. One of those, one of our Arabic friends. Uh, loads of... Still very common. Oh, oh. Look at that. Oh. We're open out to a vista of rows and rows of olive trees across the Sierra Nevada. Wow, that's 20 miles away? It must be. Beautiful clear day, isn't it? Oh, that's quite something. Well, this is the town of Antonio Machado. Is it? He's lived here. He lived oh. here. There's oh. a there's a statue of him. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, it's definitely Andalus, but I think maybe from uh, Seville originally. But wonderful and, Spanish poet. You can hear my old Spanish teacher now. The real, real expression of the real Spain. It reminds me of an early piece that Ivan Moody wrote for Fagellini mm. called El Amor y la Sierra. Mm. And we're looking at it, aren't we? Yeah. I'm guessing Is that's that the south... Sierra Nevada? I think it could be south towards Granada and beyond, yeah. With the motorway in the way, obviously. Yeah. And the river is the... Guadalquivir. Which means... I think it's an, an, an Arabic, it's just the name of the river, but I'd have to check that. That's quite something. So the sun's sort of roughly above us, as above as it gets at this time of the day. Mm. The mountains are sort of... Well, you're the man with an art view. Describe them. It's like they're shrouded in cloud, aren't they? It's very low cloud, illuminated by the lovely sun. The whole way round, right from right to left, this carries on. And these are olive trees, aren't they? That sort of through the landscape, would you say? Like... Over the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are we going to finish with? 
what will be a good good way great to hear you and Anna doing that and we'll be bringing that out we're going to Norway with that next month That's yeah. with uh, uh, with crazy guy Bjart Eike we'll be there with I think not uh, the alehouse boys will be there but Lovely. also um, with their bow ties on they they turn into Baroque Solistina that's right uh, that's quite a long relationship now. we first played with them in I'm going to say 2006 I know it was the Copenhagen Baroque Festival it was the in first 2006 ah great yeah. uh, and then we recorded our third Monteverdi disc with them I just that intensity of playing was I mean I yeah it's well, you can't make comparisons. He's he's his own he's his own guy. He's done such interesting things mm. now. He's running all sorts of projects out there. We're hoping to work with him next year. Um, so we'll be doing that with him. Whereas it was Rachel Podgett and Brecken Barock playing on that on that last yeah. track. It also just, not not shabby. No, not shabby. <laughs> not shabby. Ken Shabby. Do you remember Ken, Ken shabby, shabby from Monty Python? Yeah. Yeah. What job do you do? Uh, I'll clean out public lavatories. <laughs> promotion involved? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After five years, they give me a brush. It seemed uh, slightly outrageous to book Rachel Podger and her band and to have them mostly just Only playing pizzicato. She did say her fing- fingers felt a little bit sore after the <laughs> rehearsals yeah. for that. But there you it's go. Like it absolutely... Driving to the supermarket in a Lamborghini, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, she didn't say, I won't do it. And she's signed up to do it. I think we're hoping to do that next year again. Oh, lovely. Um, oh, gosh, it's so good. The sun's come out and, the, and that's glorious. It's nice, isn't it? What about some Bach for Christmas if we're heading into Advent. full Advent here? Yeah. Nuncom. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Cantatas for goalposts. <laughs> um, so this is come uh, now come the saviour the the saviour of the Gentiles the Gentiles Haydn Haydn Highland uh, yeah of the heathen yeah. um, and we can't play the whole thing and it's a shame because this has got that amazing bass knocking on the door cantata hasn't it they get more pizzicato but it's extraordinary he starts on a what is it a sort of not a it's a seventh, seventh chord seventh it's chord, a, but with a first inversion seventh chord oh, oh did he uh, but yeah my, just a brilliant cantata fantastic sort of French style first chorus and then this the, the beautiful um, soprano just soprano and continue open asking your heart to open itself to which in fact we're Christ. not going to play at all no good no good <laughs> glad about that uh, you but we- so let's play the opening, which is, the, as you say, the French style overture. What does French style overture mean? It means very dotted. It's one of these things about perf- this particular performance practice where what's written is not quite what you play. It's a sort of shorthand for something that is shorter and more pointed. And then you hear the, the Lutheran chorale yeah, through the voices. Say, that, do you know, read that Jeremy Denk book about his... Jeremy Denk, American pianist, his book about his musical education. He talks a lot about, about ideas about how we play music and he says that jazz and blues musicians always talk about being on the front or the back of the beat and how the variety of rhythmic possibilities is so important we don't we don't do that in classical music I don't think it's so much but this the french style is very kind of has a particular rhythmic yeah char- characteristic and personality i think i think instrumentalists do it more than possibly. singers do because with singers we've got the text yeah. and the text and how you deliver your consonants uh has such an impact and so oh some duck duck Ooh. action Ooh. Anyway, uh, so many thanks to 
Voce's 8 Foundation for lending us this recording. Uh, if they do, we haven't asked them yet. <laughs> and if they don't, up yours. <laughs> They're very kind to us at Voce's 8 yeah. Foundation. We, we do like them. And the, the tune of the cantar, of the chorale, the Nuncom de Heidenhand, is the chorale tune. And that comes in each of the vocal parts, but first of all, you hear it in the bass part of the orchestra, the introduction. Ba, 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 ba. It's a nice voice, isn't it? Should work on that a bit. Cano, uh, Rachel Podger leading one to a part strings of Brecken Baroque, and the four singers from Fagellini, Charles Gibbs, uh, Matthew Long, uh, Martha McLaurin and Elspeth Piggott, uh, who came in only two days before because someone was ill and then ended up in hospital on the morning of the performance, but did it anyway. Amazing. Before you go... It's Johnny Walker, isn't it? Johnny Walker Whiskey. Yeah, no, that's the uh, that's the logo for it. Before you go, 
um, a little correction as part of Etymology Corner. What good Etymology Corner? And the word we had was izquierda, which you had posited was... Might be from Arabic. There's loads Arabic. of Arabic in... It's still in modern Spanish, remaining. Um, but it's not... No, it turns out to be Basque. Basque izquierda. Um, Basque is one of those languages that no one really... It's not related to anything neighbouring. It's not related to Catalan or Spanish. A bit related to Hungarian, but, I mean, work, that, that, work I, that one out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, and it says here, displaced inherited form... Siniestra, well, sinister, we know the whole sinister people with left hands, that's not right. Hmm. Says to Marcel Viggins, I says, that ain't right. Reference from? One of your things. Yeah, Toy Town, that's Toy Town, <laughs> Captain Higgins. Um, uh, and then, then we were, uh, the, the river, the Guadalquivir, that we were looking over the plain just now. That's right, one of the main rivers that runs through the south of Spain, runs through Seville as well, is from, that is from the Arabic, but that's from the Arabic, the imaginative big river in Arabic. Big river, and that then reminded us about the place called. Well, it's called Torpenhow Hill in Cumbria. Um, and it, imagine at one point it was just called a hill. Then the Old English came along, and that's Tor. Tor is Old English for hill. Then the Welsh came, Old Welsh. Pen is also Welsh for hill. And then so they called it. They called it. Usually Tor, Tor Pen Hill, hill they or thought. Tor Hill. And then the Old Norse come along. Hauger is Old Norse for hill. So now it's called Torpenhow Hill, having concatenated all of those, uh, which is basically means it's called Hill, 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 Hill. Is that it? Is that, is that it for Etymology Corner for today? Oh, Mermelada. Oh, yes. No, marmalade. Yeah, we were thinking about that. So we were just having another croissant. Well, I, I was. But also that we saw some orange trees. Yes. Uh, and we're remembering Seville, which isn't so very far away, where I met Catherine, my wife. Lovely. And tried one of those engine, uh, those oranges, and that was very, very bitter because they're for, for marmalade. And then we were trying to think where marmalade comes from. Well, we think from our extensive research, it's from two Greek words, meli, which is Greek for honey, and melon, which is a, a fosami, for, uh, Greek for apple. So it's apple honey, which sort of makes sense if you like. And that's then it's then you've got marmelo, which is Portuguese for quince jelly. So marmelada is kind of quince, jellied quince. Enquinced. Enquinced, exactly. Uh, and that, there you go, mar- marmelada, and that becomes marmalade for us. A lovely etymological end to um, Coral Chihuahua. See you next time. Bye-bye. And not at all Feliz Navidad. No. No, we're not doing that song. And we also managed to do this episode without doing Rio Rio Chio. Oh, which is a terrific relief for every, any Christmas that we can get through without that is the better. Here comes another car. Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Prospero año y felicidad Feliz Navidad
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.